If all that you get is words of love and you never get follow through, do you feel loved? Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Today we have Eric. Hey. We've got Karen. Hello. And we have Tracy. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. So it's been an interesting week at my house. Uh, I think last week I mentioned that my oldest son had earned his his um, Eagle Scout uh, award. Yeah. Well, this, yeah. Well, this week he became, I guess, officially an adult he turned 18 this week uh, so so we have a third adult in the house and you know i mean i, I use the term lightly <laughs> but uh you know it's interesting looking back and thinking about you know when i used to fit his head in my hand and put his butt down in the in the crook of my arm and hold him in one arm and now i don't think i could i don't think i could lift him up with a winch you know so it's just it's interesting looking back on on those years and how quickly they go by and yes. well and Karen I know yours are yours are grown and out of the house and Tracy oh. you've got one grown and out of the house and yeah Eric you're not far behind nope and, real close yeah and uh, it's just a it's an interesting thing to look back on and consider how you know the the influence we've had in their lives and that they've had on our lives and. It's a little mel- little melancholy, but you know, kind of celebratory, celebratory at the same time. You know, it's just uh, it's nice back to the journey. Yeah, it's part of the journey. What was that, Karen? Yesterday, I I had to I ran out of hours this week at work because I had an evening meeting, so I was off fairly early yesterday. So I went and met a friend of mine, and we were just kind of tootling around Sentara, like eating and window shopping and whatever. So we end up in a clothing store that's very hip and very young. And she and I are both in our 40s. So we're just laughing our way through this store. And then one of the girls says something about her hair, like her hair was almost to her waist. And I thought, well, wouldn't this be interesting? Because just last week, my daughter shaved her head for a fundraiser. And so here's this girl with this long hair all the way to her waist. So I was like, oh, well, here, check this out. My youngest kid just did this last week. And I'm showing her the pictures. And she looks at she looks at the pictures on my phone. And then she looks at me. And she looks at my phone. She looks at me. And she goes, well, I mean, how old are you? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm, I'm 48. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you're twice my age. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's time to go home. It's probably bedtime or I need like to get a walker or something. (laughs) Yeah, when we're old enough to be grandparents. I'm not, by the way. I am. Yeah, when we're old enough to be grandparents and our friends are turning to be into grandparents. It's like, oh, what happened? Yep. Oh, life. Life is life is full of all those just, yeah, fun little little things. All right. Well, our discussion this week begins. We're starting a new book, the book of Joshua. Now, the notes in my Bible tell uh, told me that this is the first of what they call the 12 historical books. Now, we've just got through 
uh, what they would generally consider the law. Now we're into the historical books. And that's something about the Bible to keep in mind when you're reading is that it's not written necessarily in chronological order as we're taking it. Some of it, is, I mean, some of it is, you know, you get the first five books, you get the first several books before, before you really have any interruption. Uh, but Joshua is the first of the, what they call the historical books, which includes Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now there's also uh, the wisdom books, which includes things like Daniel and Job, which we've already uh, discussed here on the podcast. Uh, so if you've ever wondered why things are laid out the way they are in the Bible, and you know you you don't seem to get a straight chronology, it's because when they were putting them together, you know, binding binding them together in a book that Western uh, civilization recognizes, uh, they they kind of just categorized the scriptures rather than necessarily putting them down in in a story form because a lot of it's not story. So we learned some things about. The name of Joshua, his they would have pronounced it something more similar to Hosea, which means salvation, or uh, Moses a lot of time would call him Yehoshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, or another version of that is Yeshua, which when you get into the Greek version of that is Jesus. So there's some parallels there. Last week we noticed that Joshua, Yeshua, was the one who would lead the Israelites into the promised land. He would he would go before them. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit from last week. Now, uh, the book starts with God's commissioning or commission to Joshua. He commands Joshua to take the people over the Jordan into the promised land, as I said. And it reminds them, do not turn from the law so that you may prosper. We've talked about that a lot. The law was not about salvation, but it was about uh, living a better life. Reminds him, meditate on the law and do it. it. says, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And he's also remind, reminded, God is with you wherever you go. So as they're getting ready to to move into this land that they've been, you know, the people have been looking for for 400 plus years, all this is a reminder to them, you're not going by yourself. You didn't get yourself here by yourself, of course, and uh, and God is with you no matter where you're going. And they they get the uh, they get the order to cross the Jordan. They get three days to prepare, and they get we get a reminder to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh. If I'm remembering correctly, these are the tribes that were choosing to stay in the land that they had already conquered. Yeah, and they'd already been given land there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, they had said, we want to stay right here, and they were given land, and it, you know, it almost started a fight at first, but they're like, no, 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 we're going to go in with you. We're, you know, we're, not, we're, not, we're not abandoning you guys, but we're going to go in with you, we're going to fight, we're going to help you get the land, but we really just like it right here, and we're perfectly happy right here. So they were getting, they already had their land, but they were still fighting with their family, I guess you would call it. And so they agreed to, yes, we are going to, they were being reminded here, yep, don't forget that you said you were coming over. And they said, yep, you're right, we're, we are coming over with you. And that's kind of the, the gist of chapter one. This reading day was pretty much straightforward, just story. And I think we're going to see that a bit uh, for a while here. 
Especially yeah, through get, Joshua. It seems like seems like we're gonna get just get a lot of straight up story. Go ahead. Yeah, we yes. get a lot of that here. Uh wanna just step back super quick into Joshua one, the uh the portion let's just say verses one through nine. And I think this is a good place to touch again on a topic we've mentioned before, is that God is saying something specific to a specific person at a specific time. And although we can take, I believe we can take from it that this is how God operates and this is, you know, it demonstrates his character that it might no, that it would be a mistake to take out of context the things that are said to Joshua at this time and say, yeah, that's me. Example, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, period. I could have that as my motto, and then I just feel like, well, I can go into any situation, um, however dangerous and uh, risky, and I'll just take that as my promise, that I will be able to just walk the, the streets of the most dangerous parts of Detroit in the middle of the night, and I will pro- no man shall be able to stand before you. It's like, that would be a misuse of scripture. Yeah. And and there are just some but principles. We look in here as principles. And I think that rather than dismiss that and say, oh, well, that doesn't mean for me, it's, it says that when God promises you something, it's for real. It re- he really will honor that promise that he made to you because God honored this to Joshua. He, he went in and he and Caleb, they just... They like never quit. They're like Moses uh, in that sense that they just were full of energy and vitality and faithfulness their entire lives. And so these promises were their two way things. God says, you know, hey, look, I will do this, but I need you to do that. And Joshua kept his portion of the that thing, and God said, all right, I'm making good on all these things that I will give you. I will give you good success and make you prosperous. But Joshua did the part where in verse 7, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You know, he didn't, he, he stayed on the road. And I think that's one of those things where God is, speaks to us through these things, but we need to keep in mind where they are in space and time and not take them out of mis out of uh, out of context and misapply them. We, we talked about that the other day, how the devil even quoted uh, Deuteronomy to Jesus to get him. Or no, he quoted Psalm and Deuteronomy to get Jesus to be presumptive. And Jesus quoted back the principles from the scripture. Right. What do you think, Tracy? You know, I was looking at this, and I, when I first started reading it, I don't know if you, if, if it was maybe it was just me that noticed the tone kind of shift, where we were recapping everything in in Deuteronomy with the law and where where we had come from, where we were going. We had Moses's death, and now it's in the first chapter. I saw it as a positioning for for Joshua. Everybody yeah. knew that he was going to be the leader, but he needed it reedified to say, you know what, I will go with you. I will be with you. You need to do these things. And I think it was just a more positional kind of thing that says, you know what, I was with Moses. I'll be with you too. But I think there was a a different tone to, I don't know if it was so interpersonal like it was with Moses. And now it was, you know what, you're in the promised land now. Now we need to go forward and we need to get the job done to get you settled. 
Yeah, and I would imagine there was some difference, you know, with the way the people were reacting to Joshua too. I mean, I, he'd been set up here for a while. It wasn't like he just boom was now right. the leader. But now that true leader Moses was gone, mm-hmm. and I think that God really needed to drive it home and say, "Listen, he's the man. He's by himself now, but you need to." view him just like a leader that Moses was. And I think it comes right in verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore arise. Joshua's the guy. Let's go. Yeah. You think anytime there's a leadership change in any organization, I mean, here we're looking at, we're looking at uh, an election where we could have a change of hands there. Um, You think about a church when you get a new pastor, I mean, think back to your school days and you would get a new teacher or you change and you get a new job, adjusting to somebody new in charge is is a transition period. It's interesting, and it has to be set up. you got to set up right away uh, the authority of that person. Otherwise, I could see that, that you quickly could end up with a lot of doubt, uh, frustration for new styles, that kind of thing. And so for God to step in right away and say, this is my guy, I think that was probably really important. Well, Joshua 2, then, we get introduced to a very interesting person. Two men are sent to spy out Jericho. Now, Jericho is a name that we're familiar with in, in the in the town. And, well, we won't be talking about that battle this week. We'll get into that next week. But uh, two men are sent in to check out the area, find out what's going on. And they come to this. It says they came into, how to put it, they... they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, harlot, prostitute, uh, somebody, you know, basically somebody of ill repute. I'd be a little curious to know how these guys end up in this particular person's house. I've heard her described, and I don't know that I buy it, that, that that was also a common phrase for a hotel or a hotelier, you know, somebody who who ran a place like that. But I'm not sure that that's really what it is because mine, wow. the ESV is pretty literal and mine also says prostitute. Mm-hmm. Yep. And maybe her house served dual purpose. You know, you know, maybe it was the type of place you could get a room, but you could also get a little something extra, you know? So, I mean, who knows? I don't know exactly why they came to that particular house, but they did. And, you know, it's interesting, we think of this, you know, this woman, she's a prostitute. She's not somebody that in general conversation, uh, her her career is not a career, her occupation, whatever you want to call it, I guess, you know, it's not looked on in a good light. But it's really fascinating when you get down and start reading the genealogy of Jesus, Mm -hmm. her name is in there. And that is absolutely fascinating to me that this woman who she didn't live a I don't know put it she didn't have she she did yeah she didn't have an ideal life but yet God chooses her to be part of the DNA makeup of his own son. Yeah, in case you, our, our readers are wondering, like, wait a minute, what's happening here? Um, that's mentioned in several places. And here's, here's how that happens. You can look it up in Ruth 4, 20 and 21, and in 1 Chronicles 2, 11. 
And the reason we know that that connects to Jesus is because we find that in Matthew 1, 4, and 5. And here's how it goes. Rahab marries Salmon. Now, who he is, I had it in my head that he was one of the spies who stayed there. I have no idea if that's a true thing. Maybe it's just a romantic idea. It's like that's where they met. I don't know. But she, Rahab marries Salmon. Together they have Boaz, who marries Ruth. They father Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David. And King David is, he is, he is a progenitor of uh, the line of, that Jesus is born into. You know, the whole, like, Bethlehem, you know, the town of David, blah, blah, all that stuff, that's where that comes from. So David, his parent, his dad Jesse, his dad Obed, his dad Boaz, his dad Salmon, who married Rahab. Mm-hmm. It's right there. I think that's what we need, though, to cover the entire spectrum, that that Jesus was for everyone. And so I think you need that non-ideal lifestyle to reach the mass and the multitudes to say that, you know what, there is no no place you could be. There is no profession that can outreach God. He covers it all for everyone even into his lineage. And I think that's, you know, probably one of the main components. And I think that's why it's, it's brought up, you know, in various parts of the Bible that, you know what, that is part of his, his lineage and that he is there for everyone. Yeah. And it's, it, it's two in a row. It's, it's a, a foreigner, Rahab and an Israelite, Salomon. And then you have Ruth and Boaz. Remember Ruth wasn't uh she wasn't Jewish. Right. Right. So, We've got some pretty good diversity going on in the gene pool. I think it's cool. I, I read this too, and I'm like, she was, she was exceptional. And I think the reason that those spies ended up there at her place is the Holy Spirit led them there. Because in verse 11, she confesses Israel's God. I mean, Israel had a hard time confessing Israel's God. That was so cool. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they, they had been, I mean, they, how many generations in Israel can't get it straight? And she shows up, she's like, yeah, I know your God's the real God. And she saves the lives of these Jewish spies because she knows that they're honored of God. But she's even she's even cooler than that. She seeks to save her family. You know, I think that's just so cool. You know what I like, too, is I like that, that it kind of also brought that it, they were on a stage. Even though they're out in the middle of the desert, People knew what they were doing, yeah. and she was up up on the, the current news, if you want to call it that. But she knew that they were out there, and she knew the miracles that were going on. So, you know, I don't know if there was maybe that. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit led them there, because she was already convicted to do something much greater. And that she had already been watching this, and she had already seen the, the power of God where, you know, the people that were in the desert missed it on quite a few occasions. And she had already seen what was going on and maybe already had a change of heart already that the Holy Spirit was able to use her before they even got there. Yeah. So as far as like these guys stopping by her place of business, I would think that a prostitute who was housed in the city wall was, I would think of that as successful. And I would think of that as a good place for local information 
And if I was a spy, I would not try to get into the Senate floor to listen to a current discussion of law proposals. I would go to the seediest bar I could find, and I would mix with the whoever was there, and I would listen for local gossip. Like, that's what I would do. So my impression of them is kind of that's what they were doing. They were going to, like, she's going to be high traffic, right? She's going to be high traffic, and travelers and locals alike, she's going to have met them, and she's going to have talked to them. I don't know. To me, it seems like a natural place to go if you're a spy, but that's just kind of the way I saw it. Yeah. I think here's an interesting thing, just just to put it out there, because she shows up she shows up a lot of times later in the Bible. I mean, she's she has earned a place in Jewish history that is honorable, which is kind of shocking, given how prudish they were about some things. And mm-hmm. in the same time, we got to remember that actually the Jews were a lot less prudish than we were. They were pretty straightforward about stuff. If she shows up in Hebrews eleven thirty one uh, by faith. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So here it attributes her uh, actions to faith in Hebrews 11. And then she's mentioned again in the book of James, which, of course, as soon as you say the book of James, you know what's going to happen here. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers? And sent them out another way. Because James comes to this, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So imagine this. So James is trying to say, hey, look, it's both. Imagine if they had shown up to Rahab's house and she said, I know your God's the right God. And they said, well, what what are you going to do? Yeah, nothing. Right. Lip service and no further. Yeah. And they knock on the door and she's like, yeah, the guys are here. Like, Well, that wouldn't have worked. You know? She she had to have that that faith with action. Also, the action goes to her um, resourcefulness in verse 15. She let them down with a rope um, and they escape. And I find it fascinating that she uses she lies to the people who come in, yeah. you know, seeking these guys. And so I don't think that's a recommendation that God says, hey, lie about this. But let's just say she was probably kind of early in her faith journey here. But. She, she she coupled faith. Her faith led to action. It wasn't just one. You know, I just think that's a really interesting thing about where she, uh, where, where faith goes to action. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the spies, this is a really interesting thing. I think there's a lot to learn in this chapter. The spies lay out some personal responsibility. Verse 18, you know, she wants to be saved and they're saying, hey, tell you what, when we come back, you put this cord out the window and let us down. And they, they say, look, you have to be in this house with anybody else who's going to be saved. They have to be in here with you and they cannot leave. If they leave, and they set down some boundaries, if they leave and they get killed, we're not responsible. That's on you. And these days, our, I think our culture has a really hard time struggling with the idea of personal responsibility. Like, oh, you you did the thing. It's like, well, you, you ran through the stoplight. You broke that law or whatever. But but, 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 but you shouldn't have hit me. You know, that's just not right. And the, these spies are just, they're laying it out. Like, look, we honor this part. You step outside these bounds, not on us. So again, there's some personal responsibility 
It goes with that faith. They had to have faith that it was going to happen to be in the house, but then they had to actually obey. And again, that's super unpopular these days. Like, like I have to do something to, to, to show that I'm. Yeah, you do. You. That's like it's a two part thing. Read the book of James again. But I, yeah. I want to tell a lie, and I want to sit over here and do whatever I want and still get the reward. Well, Don't I get a participation trophy? Right. <laughs> I noted some things here that that kind of paralleled the whole salvation process here. First of all, for Rahab, there was mercy and grace applied to her. Yep. You know, there's no doubt as a prostitute that she's living a sinful life. Okay, so I mean that's that's a given, and she's granted mercy and grace. She's going to be saved. She's marked for salvation with that red cord. Mm-hmm. So she has she has a mark that says that she's going to be saved. Mm-hmm. and she is called to call others to be saved. I mean, I kind of get it here that pretty much anybody who's in her home when the attack comes is going to be saved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she specifically asked for her family. I can I can conceivably think that, that she could be calling people off the streets. Come here, come here, come here, you know. And if anybody got into her house when the attack came, they would be spared. So there's that's a lot. I just see a lot there that that is as a parallel to our lives as Christians, where you know you hope that you have the mark of 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 God and that you you recognize that you have been afforded grace, and that we are all called to try to help save as many as we can. I think it would be. I want to mention that some of the best evangelists are women and women with sketchy backgrounds. Jesus shows up to the woman at the well, and she's a Samaritan. She's an outcast. She's been married five times, plus the guy she's living with she's not married to. She brings back her whole town to Jesus, and he stays there. The disciples didn't have that kind of luck. I would agree with that, too. I think that's maybe just because of how close they are with the society that goes there. It's funny you mentioned the woman at the well, but that was when Jesus first let his mission be known. To a Sumerian, to a group of people that didn't readily agree with the Israelites at that point and were kind of shunned and they were divided. But that's the first person he broke the information to saying that, you know what, this is my ministry. This is where I'm going. This is how I'm going to 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 spread the gospel and 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 bring people to me. And I think that just goes goes to say that, you know, it's it's for everyone at this point. And he he's willing to build those bridges and cr- cross over the rivers to, to new lands and to, to new nations to, to do the job of salvation. I Throughout reading this and, and thinking, thinking about Rahab's story and thinking about like the whole thinking, what do they, what do they call it? The mixed multitude that was traveling with, with Israel, people who weren't necessarily Israelite, but they were there. And I kept thinking of that text that says, I have many sheep that are not of this fold. And it was like, it was just kind of a reminder that the Israelites job was to be like the beacon that, that made everyone else want to come to it. Yeah. Not the only saved people. Yeah. And we, we read this old Testament stuff like, ah, God's just calling for genocide, you know, and there was no chance to just go in and wipe everybody out. It's like, well, except for the people who acknowledged, you know what? I get it. You're God and I'm going to do your thing. And God says, okay, join in. Oh yeah. Not only that, you could be such part of the core part of who we am. You could be part of the lineage Mm -hmm. of, of the savior. And so 
this idea that it was just a straight across the board judgment and nobody had any opportunity for anything other than destruction is just, it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes to show, like we've said here before, the people in the area all knew what was going on. They knew about the Red Sea. They knew about God's delivering. What, how did she put it? Sihon and Og. I mean, they knew exactly yeah. what was going on. I mean, they might not have had CNN and Fox News, but they knew what was happening. And so, so, and they had known this for, I mean, at least 40 years. So at least the generation at hand knew exactly how God was working with Israel. And you got to suspect that some of the stories of, of God's giving the land to them had to have gotten back to people. And so if you start seeing things move, you know, you think about now when we start seeing, when we start seeing evidence of prophecies coming true now and you you start seeing things happen, you're like, well, that wasn't exactly the way I thought that might have happened, but That's there right. it is, you know, <laughs> and you start seeing, oh, wow, these Israelites are moving around in the desert. Wow. They just crossed over the Red Sea. Oh, wow. They just defeated. What was it like? Seven different kings. I think I think in a previous episode we talked about seven kingdoms that these people had defeated. You've got to start going, Oh boy, something's happening. And you have an opportunity, I suppose, you know, do we going to change our ways or are we going to keep doing what we're doing? And they kept doing what they're doing, you know? And so, so when people get upset about God telling the Israelites, go in and wipe out a place, they had been afforded so much opportunity to get on the right side and stop being the bad influence of the area and of the world. Yep, yep, we'll so, go back to Genesis 15, Genesis mm -hmm. 15, 16, and they, <laughs> this is the promise, this is to Abram, this is like when there's none of them, okay, there are millions now, but in Genesis 15, 16, there is, there is Abram, that's it, and God says to him, you shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, God's working with these folks for 400 years, it's not like it's like, okay, you gotta make up your mind by tomorrow. They've had generations yep. to deal with this. And I don't I just think that's an, an important thing to keep in mind. I it really it really jumped out to me how she referenced the Red Sea crossing as well, because that was that was forty years before. Mm -hmm. And then she talks about it like it's a fresh story, and that's part of her reference. So she makes a reference to something, well, let's see, how long has it been since they conquered Sihon and Og? I can't remember. But we know yeah. the Red Sea was, was at the Exodus, which at this point is 40 years before. And then she says, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Like she just, mm -hmm. that's, she just, she recognizes it clearly. She, she, without any hesitation, she understands that. None of whatever her local gods are, ha are anything near that. And that story of the Red Sea is told as if it just happened. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, there was there just wasn't there wasn't really excuse for people to go like, oh, I didn't know. You know, they knew they knew they knew they knew fully well and they still went their own ways. So I totally dig this. At the end of this, the spies go out. They evade their the people who are. I mean, it's a true spy story. I mean, it's like oh, the whole. I can imagine the James Bond music. You know, they probably weren't on motorcycles riding down staircases, but you know, they're they're running away, and they get back to camp, and they give their report. And I think this is just such a 
it's a refreshing turn of events from the 12 spies who went in earlier. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land to our hands and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So in contrast to what the spies said earlier, these guys come back and they're like, yeah, God, God is going to, and they, that's how they started. The Lord has given us into our hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very different from the spies who, who went out 40 years prior and came back and went, oh no, it's, this is terrible. We can never do it. These guys are like, oh yeah, no, God has totally given this to us. Even though they had had to be hidden on a roof, sneak out of the city. You know, their lives were in danger, but they still come back and go, God, it, God's done it here. It's right there. Let's go. Yeah. And, I mean, and Jericho was no small. It wasn't just a little, you know, a village with some sticks around it. This, I mean, she, this room, Rahab has her house in the wall. Now I've heard of tiny houses, but even a tiny house, come on, 15, 20 feet. Like this is, this is a, not a small wall. And you've got these people who just came out of the desert. They're, how are they going to do this? But the spies, they're like, no, we got it. They don't know how yet because they haven't gotten that information yet. Yeah. Well, wasn't it said that Jericho, that they could, um, the walls were so thick that the chariots rode on top? Oh, I don't recall. That, the right Maybe one we'll that, later. That, ring, that rings a bell. Where they could actually have patrols that were on chariots that were riding on top of the wall. So it was thick. You know, yeah, <laughs> I got the veggie tails in my mind with the French peas up on top, taunting, <laughs> taunting, taunting down below Monty Python style. <laughs> I don't know, but basically they, what's cool is they came out and they said, we can, God's going to do this. And they gave the credit right there. They didn't say we can do it. They said the Lord's doing it. Well, it comes time to cross the Jordan. And basically the command is, first of all, follow the ark. You're going to follow the ark, which I thought was significant because you think about what was the purpose of the ark. This is where God, where the people would go, where the priests would go to meet, uh, to meet God. This has been probably one of the few times that the common people would see the ark. I don't know if it would have been going out uncovered or how they would, do, or how exactly, but uh, this would be one of the few times that it would be out where everybody could see it. But um, you know, this is where the this is where the moral law was, the you know, written down and, and kept. You kind uh, of see it, but they're they're two thousand cubits away. I did a little bit of math. Yeah, close to half a mile. Yep. yep. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's out there. I'm not sure that they'd be able to. And I find <laughs> that's a fascinating thing in verse five. Consecrate yourselves. Is this is a serious? They are to be taking this whole thing. This isn't just an adventure. This is a spiritual, significant step, and they are supposed to take it seriously. Yeah, sanctify yourselves. Um, There's the way mine put it, or kind of like you said, consecrate yourselves. That shows that there is some room for us in the whole process of things, you know, sanctification and and consecration. That we have, we have a role to get our thoughts in order, get our actions in order. It's it's not just a matter of of uh, us saying that we follow God, but you know, being you know, doing a little bit at least to to have some worthiness of of being able to say I follow God. You know, well, I don't know that it's worthiness, and that's it's, a tricky, maybe it's the wrong word. 
No, 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 but that's a tricky thing because they are over and over called, when they received the Ten Commandments, they were called to do this. When they were called at the Passover, they were called to do, to do. I mean, and that really bugs us these days. It's, it's, I mean, I have a friend of mine I had discussions with once, and I said, well, if we're not supposed to do anything at all, what's about the book of James? And this person's come back as, well, James is wrong, and that book shouldn't be in the Bible. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't like that piece of scripture, so that scripture is bad. Yeah. Let's take a second, though. Let's take a second and bring this down. Like, we're all humans. We've all been in human relationships with other humans. And if if the people that you're in a relationship with, and, it, and I'm not saying it necessarily has to be like a, a marriage-type relationship or anything like that, even a work relationship or a friendship or a sibling or anything like that, like, when you're on the receiving end of what that person says is love... If all that you get is words of love and you never get follow through, do you feel loved? Right? So, like, we all, we all know and we all want that standard of behavioral follow through. We all want that when we're on the receiving end. The only time we don't want it is when it means we have to change what we're doing. Because on our end, you know, we'd rather take the lazy way out. We'd rather, like, hand out the lip service and then not do the hard stuff, which is actually like maybe modifying something that we want or setting it aside in favor of, of you know, acting honorably or whatever. So the only, the only time we're okay with, I'll show you my faith by my works, like what James is fond of saying, like, put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. You know, the only time we, we really want that, that singular standard is when we get to receive it. You know, how would, how would we feel about God if it turned out that salvation wasn't actually offered, it was just the words. And when you got there, it was like, yeah, I changed my mind. I just, I just, I'm going to go with this person over here. And I know you tried, but like, I, I just changed my mind. You know, we don't, we don't want that. So I don't know. To me, this is a, this is a singular standard thing. And this is a golden rule thing. <laughs> and this is a put your money where your mouth is thing. That's kind of the way I see this. Definitely. The idea that we don't have any role in this at all is just bizarre to me. And maybe I misread some other people's way of looking at this, but they're like, oh, no, you don't have to do anything. You're just, you're, you know, you've, you've accepted Jesus and now you're saved. You're going to go to heaven and you, you'll never um, have to worry about losing that. Yeah, and we talked about this last week, week before. We talked about, right, you don't lose it, but it's like when you put something down and don't pick it back up again. If you just if you decide to discard it, you know you might be able to remember where it is and go find it again. But if you don't pick it up, it doesn't do you any good. Go ahead, there's, there's a part to play, and we see this is kind of an interesting thing that there's the faith and there's the action in this chapter. It's kind of some neat things. The Lord is again uh, validating Joshua before the people, and what's really neat is this is in seven, eight through ten is that God basically validates Joshua and then in in 7, 8, and 9. And then in 10, Joshua says, and Joshua said, here's how you will know that the living God is among you. Basically, God says, I'm going to perform a sign for you. And Joshua, instead of saying, hey, this is how you know I'm the one, 
Joshua turns it and he gives that glory back to God. And he said, this is about God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the mark of a really amazing um, leader who takes what God has given to him and says, no, I'm not going to keep that glory. I'm going to give it back to God because it's about the mission. It's not about me. And then to, to the faith in action part is in verse uh, 15 is that the, the ark goes forward and I find this really interesting. The river's flowing, and it's my understanding. It's, overfl- it's overflowing. Right. Yeah. Flood stage. Yeah. Yep. And so it's still rushing down, and in 15, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. I mean, like, they have to, get, literally, they have to walk forward until they get their feet wet. That's faith. Yep. But the action had to get them they they couldn't they couldn't stand half a mile away from the river and have faith and be like all right well we're standing right here half a mile away we're super duper safe we're not going to get our feet wet and we want the water to stop that's not how it worked they had to walk forward until their feet were wet and then then happened yeah tracy you know what we see before we saw this happen before we saw this happen at the red sea it didn't part before they got there they had to get there first, and that was the faith part of it. Then the minute they they hit the water, that's when it parted. They got it. They had to be willing to to have that leap of faith and to trust the Lord enough to, hey, if this is the way we want to go, then we're going to get wet first, and then everything happens. Can we just call that faith waiting? Can we just like <laughs> give that a name? Because I kind of feel like that's where I'm at in my life right now. Like, I can't see a single stupid thing in my future that I want to see, and I still have to keep moving forward, and it is not comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. 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 You know, a lot of times we're like, God, give me a sign. Show me that this is what you want me to do. Get your feet wet. And But, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't, you can't always see until, until you like you say, like you get your feet, get your feet wet. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that goes back to this. Maybe that phrase comes back to here. I don't know. I'm yeah. telling you though. I'm telling you though. You feel you can't tell whether your faith is actually presumptive naivete until your feet are in the water, and then you see what the water does. You know what I mean? And that's oh, yeah. that's a struggle. Well, <laughs> and sh- yeah. Well, I guess if you find yourself drowning, then you know that. You know, I, I guess I need to back up instead of continuing on this path. You know, but in this case, God had told them, yeah, you know, yes. go for, you know, you're going to yeah. get your feet in the water before. And they just had to trust that, that they were either going to get, God was either going to do something or they were going to get swept away. Chose to go ahead and step into the water. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big faith thing. And it is fascinating because it does say that this is the time of year when it's, it's, it's flood season. It's a harvest season. The waters are up over the banks. There's more water there than usual. This isn't like it's a drought season, and and so. Oh, by the way, I looked up the time of year. Remember, we're, at some point in in today's chapters, it says uh, like they they crossed over or they did something on the tenth day of the first month, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant. So I looked it up, and it's in the spring. So like in 2020, um, what was it called? Yom Halia. Yom Halia, I think, is the name that they gave to entering the promised land. And it's, you know, still a, a Jewish holiday today. And I think this year it was the first weekend of April or something like that. So it's springtime. Hmm. 
Interesting, because it said harvest time, but I suppose you have harvests in the spring, too. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, so, so they step into the water, and the water stops flowing. And, I mean, I think, you know, this, this obviously starts bringing back ideas of the Red Sea. And I don't think that's by accident. You know, you had one deliverance, and now you've got, it's sort of another deliverance. It's, you know, you had de- delivery... Yeah, delivery from bondage, and now you've got delivery into the promise. And both of them end up with them crossing through a body of water, over a body of water. And I've heard this compared to baptism before, you know, mm-hmm. where where the entire nation of Israel basically was baptized by by going beneath the levels of the water, even though, you know, in their case, it's not like literally getting wet the way we would now. Um, but, but very similar. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. I was just going to say that they, they go through some really significant, um, things here that I don't think that that's a, an overstepping or, or presumptive to say that it was a type of baptism because they do go through this in chapter five, um, as we end up, there's circumcision. This is a real a significant moment for them. And they go through with the, with, they, they follow the instructions. In four, are we ready to go to four? Sure, yeah. I think chapter four is really cool. Uh, if, if you haven't read this, basically they are now passing through the river in the first part of chapter four. And God has given specific instructions that they are supposed to designate one person from every tribe to go out and pick up a stone from the middle of the river that would normally be on the river bottom. And they're to pick up a stone and take it to the far side and set it up. And in verse 7, these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And it's a sign among you. It goes back to six. And this may be a sign among you. When the children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? You'll tell them that the water of the Jordan was cut off before the ark. Now, once upon a time, I actually uh, presented a message to a church about this one event. And I went to a garden store and I picked up some little, a bag of river rocks. You know, those rocks are about an inch, two inches around. Mm. And I had um, some youth pass out a rock to every single person in church. And then we had people come up front, they, they were planned, and talk about a time in their life that God had led them. Which at the time, they didn't know what was happening, but they can look back and say, God led me through this. And I said, look, I want you to keep this rock. As, as a remembrance of this. And I said, and I joked, I said, now you're going to feel, you're going to want to throw away this rock later, but then it was given to you at church and you're going to feel bad and maybe like it's bad luck if you throw it away. And they all laugh. <laughs> I said, but here's the point is that they were building memorials to how God had led them. And today we don't. We just blow through that stuff and we're like, yeah, whatever. And then we don't have things to look back on and point to and say, look, this is how God led us. You know, I, I think we come back to it before and right in the beginning, um, memorial stones. Yes. It's a perfect example. They had them throughout the Bible when it's, yes. you know, it started the journeys 
um, or something great happened or an epiphany was given or ladders were seen um, ascending and descending in heaven, there was a memorial stone set there. Yes. When something great was done, a memorial stone was set there for not only for the person to remember, but for the whole nation to remember. And I think that's what builds faith. It's those foundational given stones or events that builds a person's foundation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm saying that it would be good for us. And then I'm including myself in this too is, and how do we do that? You know, do we take a thing and put it in a picture frame? It's like, Hey God, um, God saw us through this. I mean, I've got that this week. I mean, we had horrendous forest fires here in Colorado over the last uh, little bit here. And it came perilously close to some of the properties that I'm uh, in charge of here. And just yesterday, well, day before, I found out that two huge trees, one fell on the house to the south of us and went through a roof. One is between me and a neighbor on the north side, and it missed our house, missed their house, and just took out their power line. But I mean, like that's how close this stuff was. And it's on my mind right now, but if I don't do something to make a memory of that, it'll be mm. forgotten. And so it's an encouragement to, to myself and to, to you all and to our listeners, and I don't have an answer for exactly how we do this, but how do we, as Tracy said, set up a, a memorial, not an, not an idol or an, or an altar or something to, to distract us, but something to remind us. So when our kids say, yeah, what's that about? We could say, let me tell you a cool story about how God led us. Yeah, I think um, throughout the, the Israelite years, they're often called standing stones. And I've, I've always thought that they were very, very cool, that they set up a physical memorial so that anybody who passes by, first of all, recognizes that, it's, that it is a memorial and says, oh, what happened here? Tell me the, tell me the history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, another thing I thought was cool about this was they had the 12 stones that they took out of the river, but then also Joshua made a memorial there at the river, right where, uh, right where the priests were standing with the ark. And so you have these two memorials that kind of connect each other between, between where they crossed and then where they stayed that night in Gilgal. And, cool. and, um, you know, people would see these things and, Hey, what's that for? Oh, Hey, that's where, that's where they crossed the river. And, Oh, hey, that's where they stayed when they crossed after they crossed the river. I'm not sure. I don't know how far away uh, Gilgal was from from the river, uh, but less than a day's because I mean they started on yeah. the other side, crossed through, yeah. and then set up camp. So it couldn't be too far away because they had to do all that in one day. Yeah, but so the the idea of connecting memorials, I thought that was kind of cool too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So their yeah. so their journey just would be worth saying started and ended by going passing through the water. Yeah. And um, I have a note on t uh, 24 talking about talking about the memorials and so that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord of your God forever. So, yeah, these memorials, just reminders to see that God has worked in our lives and we can trust him uh, to continue working in the future. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, too, that what you just read in 24 is it's not just for the Israelites to see this. Because it says, so that all the peoples of the earth. So this was to be an evangelistic thing, not just a, hey, good for you. Right. Five, I thought was pretty interesting to me because, well, I mean, the title of the chapter is The Second Generation Circumcised. 
I remember this was kind of a this is a this was a kind of a big deal. Um, you know, Abraham was circumcising his his uh, people. Um, the people were told to be circumcised again. Well, not again. Uh, and, they hadn't done it for a while. That's what, well, that's they a- hadn't done it again. Yeah, here they hadn't. They yeah, they hadn't done it. A whole generation hadn't been done. And that, that was interesting to me because you remember Moses almost got killed by God because he hadn't circumcised his children, and it was up to Zipporah to do it to basically save him. And so it was just yeah. interesting to me here that the people hadn't continued with this. What we find here is I was listening to another supplementary um, part to this, but what happened here is that. God took that benefit away from them. Um, wasn't it during um, the rebellion at Korah that he said, you know what, all those ceremonies are going to stop at this point? Um, because he was pretty upset about it. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, because all the ceremonies. That's when the circumcision stopped. And until they got there, that's when he reestablished it. Mm. So they were basically told not to do it again. Well, that's interesting. I don't even remember that. Yep, I read it. I, I think I heard it, or like I said, I was, but that's when it stopped because it was one of those final things that God, at the tipping point, told him, you know what, don't do it anymore. No, the, no um, ceremonies. Interesting. So this isn't the only thing that starts back up again here in uh, 10 and 11 and 12. This is just super cool, is that they. Because Karen mentioned when they when they did this, because the dates are significant. Um, well, I just saw that when the uh, because it does say the dates of when they did this. It, it, it's a four nineteen. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. So they keep Passover now in their promised land. This is five uh, ten, chapter five verse ten. So they keep Passover now. We don't have record of that happening for a really long time. And this is just so cool. They, on that very day, I'm reading verse 11, and the day after the Passover, that's their promise of deliverance, that's this meal and feast and all these things, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened grain, and and the manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land. Yeah. I, I thought that this passage was really interesting. So I'm kind of a history geek. I really like history. And so the, the <laughs> my first thought when I read that they all stopped and were circumcised using flint knives was really they couldn't come up with anything better than sharpening a rock, you know, for this delicate procedure. And I, and I was just... I just was like, they're in the land of the Philistines now. Couldn't they go buy some steel? You know, like I'm, I'm making these Conan the Barbarian things in my head. And it was just, it was, it was. So I went and I looked up just for my own curiosity. What is Flint and how sharp is it? Yeah. And the, oh, the, uh, the uh, so I read, I read this thing by the American Medical Association where it said that Flint is 500 times sharper than steel. Flint is only slightly less sharp than obsidian, but it holds a blade better. And that flint will cut through cells. So like nowadays we can see at a cellular level, right? Flint will cut through cells that steel will mangle. 
steel, like a scalpel will, will mangle and tear a cell. Flint will cut right through it. And I was like, oh, okay, so sharpening rocks is great. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, and to yeah. that point is I, I visited with somebody who was talking about, for whatever it's worth, uh, circumcisions. And they said that some of these rabbis who practiced this stuff could accomplish a circumcision, and their goal was at maximum one drop of blood. Whoa. Mm. Whoa. Well, that explains why they only had three days of healing, because I wondered about that, too. Yeah, they weren't. They, mm. This was this wasn't some sort of, you know, right. uh, yeah, crude thing. This was. So anyways, we've lost touch with a lot of that stuff. So that was part of their their ceremony. Before we wrap up here, we've got to talk about Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Just an amazing thing. Do you guys yeah. what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I had well, I see Tracy's hand there real quick though. Oh, I think I left it on from the last time. Okay. <laughs> I've been, I've yeah. abused the hand raising function already. <laughs> but yeah, the uh yeah, thirteen through fifteen was fascinating. It really is really, really cool where Joshua sees how to, I gotta think of exactly how it was put there. He sees a man standing there with a sword drawn, and Joshua's like, Well, are you for us or the enemies? And the <laughs> and the answer is no. I love that. <laughs> it's like it's kind of me. It reminded me of, where is that? Isaiah 55. That's what it reminded me of. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my yes. thoughts than your thoughts. Yes. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without water in the earth and making it bud and forth, blah, 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 blah. So, God, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. I am so far above you. I am not part of your agendas. And that, that's what I, that's what I thought of as soon as I read that. I love that passage. Yes. That's, yeah, so, yes. So, no. yeah. So this guy who's, he's like, no, I'm not for you or for your enemies. I am command. I'm here as commander of the army of the Lord. All this stuff is capitalized. You guys, all yep. of this is capitalized. Man is capitalized. Uh, commander is capitalized. The, this is another incarnation of Jesus. I fully believe it. That that he's, I mean, he's called the Lord of Hosts, and by hosts they mean armies. This is, this is Jesus. Like, well, no, I'm not here for you. I'm not here against you. I'm here for myself. I'm here for, I'm here for the purposes of God. Yes. Yeah. And we always, we always want to invoke God for. This is my thing. And I want you to do this. I want you to support this or condemn that or do whatever. And, I, and I'm going to invoke the name of the Lord. And I'm going to put it on a picket sign. And I'm going to wave it in your face and put it on a bumper sticker. And, and this is a reminder to me. And that's a great, 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 great verse, Karen, that you found in Isaiah. Because God's, his purposes and his desires are, because he says over and over in other places, look, I don't enjoy the death of the wicked. Yep. Uh, that's not what I would wish to have happen. And I'm sure the Israelites are like, it's us against them, right? And God's like, kind of, not really. I'll help you through this. But my goals are different than your goals. And to 
to Matt's point, is like, well, wait a minute, this is just a heavenly messenger and it's a guy with a sword. How are we so sure? Uh, verse 15, this, this commander of the Lord's army says, take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy. I mean, that shoots straight back to Exodus 3, 5, when Moses is called. Burning bush. That's the Lord's. That is God right there saying, where you're at right now is so holy, you better get your shoes off. So Joshua is having, um, he's he's interfacing with the commander of the Lord's army. He's talking to, I believe, Matt, you're right, it's Christophany. Mm-hmm. And it's Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and it's just so cool that, that, his, that God's purposes for this, yes, he's using the Israelites at this time, at this moment, they're going to do battle. But God's purposes transcend those immediate things. Yeah, really cool stuff. And this is just just before they're getting ready to go and attack Jericho. uh... Basically, where we're ending up here is Israel has all of these confirmations that God's with them. They're growing through. They're going through the water in a miraculous way. They are back... um, committing themselves through circumcision. They practice the Passover. And to Joshua, the leader, I believe Jesus, the, the commander of the, the, the armies of heaven, you can look that up in Revelation 19, shows up personally to Joshua and says, I'm here with you. Yep. And that will wrap up our reading this week and our discussion. Next week, we will pick it up in chapter 6. We'll go through chapter 10, so chapter 6 through 10 of uh, Joshua. While you're waiting for that, reach out to us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Find us on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And be sure to subscribe so that we can reach you each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. I'm hearing is that this whole like no man shall stand before you that wasn't a direct promise to me and I should go take that off my online dating profile because I actually changed my pickup line. <laughs>